Well, it's great to see everyone. To those of you joining us online, my name is David. Welcome to Four Mile Church. I have to say it does seem a little odd me welcoming you since I'm still the new guy. Um, just wrapped up my first week. Um, but you guys have made us feel so incredibly welcome. Truly, Jen and I are humbled by your generosity from the uh, lunch last week after church to the many welcome gifts and the letters and notes of encouragement. Um, we're just so grateful to be here and really appreciate the warm welcome. What a spirit this church has. So for the past couple of weeks, uh, Cammie and I have been laying out um, three points that we think speak to the identity of this church. And we're going to keep reminding ourselves of these because they're helpful to us in this period of transition to know who we are. But it's also helpful to give us the words that we need when someone asks us why we go to church or what's our church like. So the first one is that we are a church with a vision to reach the tri-state region and beyond, making fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And we do that by taking our next steps towards Christ together, day by day. The second thing, that mission we're on, it involves every single one of us here and everybody online. And God has called us uniquely to this mission in this church, even with all of our shortcomings. And that's why at Four Mile Church, it is okay to not be okay. None of us are perfect here. All of us are in process at some level or another, and we just hope you don't want to stay in that not okay place, which is why we have a third thing. We love you enough to tell you the truth. When you come to Four Mile Church, you're going to hear the truth from Scripture. And that truth sometimes can be a little uncomfortable. We know that. Um, today is going to be another one of those that challenges us as we talk about the Great Commission. Now, many of you are familiar with the Great Commission. I know that. Um, it's not a hard teaching, but it's a real challenge to put into action. And I know what some of you are thinking. Didn't Cammie preach on this like a few weeks ago back in May? Did she not do a good job or something? Um, no, she did a great job. This is all part of an intentional plan that we have as a church. The elders, Cammie and I, and many of the staff members have been working through the fundamentals and really having a, a, a year-long focus on what those fundamentals mean. And so we've been using this football. That was a successful transaction right there. <laughs> we've been using this football to remind us just like Coach Lombardi at the beginning of every football season would bring the team into the locker room and he would say, gentlemen, this is a football. And so this football, we're going to use this throughout the year to remind us of the importance of these fundamentals. And the Great Commission is one of those fundamentals of fundamentals, just like the fear of the Lord was last week. It's one of those rally points that we're going to keep coming back to. And you'll remember when Cammie preached on it, it was in the context of this idea that Jesus is the head of the church. We are a church that's been around for over two centuries, and there have been dozens of pastors that have changed, but Jesus has always been the head of this church. And next week, we're going to start a new series on the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' first recorded sermon. We find it in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So looking at the Great Commission today is helpful because it allows us to move forward three years to the very end of Matthew and see where Jesus was taking all of us. So that's our focus today, and I ask you to join with me in prayer, and we'll ask the Lord's help as we unpack this message. Father, we lift our eyes to the hills. Where does our help come from? Our help comes from you, the maker of heaven and earth. 
So, Father, we ask for your help today. By the power of your Holy Spirit, compel us, convict us, cut us to the heart to respond to your commission. For Jesus' sake, amen. to Galilee, to the mountains where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So, Ryan, thanks for reading for us today. I know what some of you are thinking. Ryan caught the football last week. That means if I catch the football this week, they're going to make me come up here and read scripture. <laughs> so that was just a coincidence, by the way. Okay, so one thing I absolutely love about the book of Matthew is that he is so good about describing the setting so that we get the context right. And as we see here, he starts out, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Now think about this. This is a really big moment. This is like the apex of history. Jesus has just risen from the dead. He's defeated sin, just as the prophets had foretold, and now the resurrected King Jesus meets his disciples at a mountain in Galilee to commission them before he goes to reign in heaven. This is monumental. So much prophecy, so many of God's promises, his covenantal work happened on mountains. And that's why we prayed to lift our eyes to the hills today. It's helpful to note the location of the Great Commission. It's in the mountains of Galilee. You'll see up here on the map, there's a black square. That's where Jerusalem is. That should be familiar to many of you. And the area of Galilee is, is in red up there. It's about 80 miles north of Jerusalem on the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee near a city called Capernaum. Now these mountains of Galilee are the same place where three years earlier Jesus brought the 12 disciples for his first sermon the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we're going to start next week. And now he's brought them back to the exact same place where it all began, but this time to commission them. And I hope you notice one other interesting thing here. This time, there's only 11 disciples because Judas betrayed Jesus. Now, there's a whole lot to say about Judas. We won't get into that today. But suffice it to say, it probably speaks this next line to the root of why Judas wasn't there this time. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I want you to think back to the creation story. Remember God tells Adam and Eve, you can't eat of this one fruit. And what does the serpent say? He says, did God really say that? Sowing those seeds of doubt that led to the temptation which led to sin. 
and those seeds of doubt have been sown ever since. That's why this is such a powerful line, because it speaks to our condition too. We're here today, if you look around, to worship God. We got off to a good start this morning. But if we're honest, many of us have some doubts in our hearts. The word used for worship in this particular setting suggests that the disciples probably knelt before the king as soon as they saw him as a sign of reverence, which means they had a healthy fear of the Lord, and hopefully we do too. And yet their hearts weren't 100% in it. Some people doubted. Now, Eugene Peterson translates this in the message so nicely. He says, some though held back, not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally. Is that us? Are we unsure about the risks? Sure, we'll sing along, but not too loudly. We'll pray, but not too boldly. We might even dare to slip our hand up during a worship service, but are we willing to risk ourselves totally? I mean, actually making our lives a reflection of the scripture that we read, the sermons that we hear, and of the songs that we sing. Living like that Acts 2 church that Cammie's been preaching about, where we meet other people's needs, even if that means denying ourselves. Pointing everyone we meet to Jesus. Because I'll tell you, man, that's risky. People are gonna start cutting you out of things. They're gonna think you're a nut job. And you know why? It's because they doubt too. But if it makes us feel any better, the disciples, they witnessed the resurrection and the crucifixion. They saw those miracles. They listened firsthand to Jesus' teaching. They were even there at the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus laid out how his kingdom operates and how it requires fully devoted followers, and yet they still doubted too. And that's why Jesus addresses this doubt in no uncertain terms. So if you ever doubt, I want you to pay attention to this next line. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So first, let's not miss the fact that Jesus went to them. He initiated the encounter. He comes to us too. He's always the first mover. And he starts by taking this whole doubt thing head on because they must have faith and believe in him. So it begins by proclaiming the expanse of his authority, and it's cosmic. This is that slide we had some troubles with last week. I think we got it fixed now. It helps us appreciate God's sovereignty and his goodness, how he is all-present, all-powerful, and all-knowing, how he is the creator and sustainer of the universe, how he is the very definition of love. He's perfectly holy. He is the author of truth and in addition to this cosmic thing he created he created humans so that stuff inside of us like joy and humor and courage he created all of that stuff too so Jesus has authority from the one who designed the complexity of the universe and the complexity of our humanity so do you see how important this authority thing is that's why we're gonna keep coming back to it because it's the key to battling doubt that's likely to arise whenever we receive our commission. Now to understand how authority links to commission, 
Let's start by looking at it this way. I don't know if most of you know this or not, but Tyler is a stickler for speed limits. Never, never speeds. And it bothers him so much that he's thought about even putting a little speed trap right out here on Tusca Road to catch the people like Cammy who love to speed. <laughs> and could you imagine if Tyler pulled you over what you would say? If he told you, hey, you need to slow down, I'm giving you a citation. You'd be like, based on what authority? Like, that's nice that you want to slow us down, but come on, right? Now, the state is the authority that commissions cops to police, just like the Congress is the authority that commissions the military to defend our borders. As an army officer, I always kept my commission hanging up in my office. And why did I do that? Because it was the basis of my authority. When you think about it, authority actually isn't um, even tangible. I mean, it's just a piece of paper. But it empowers us to carry out our charge. I want you to think about the NFL for a second. You got these massive, hulking linemen, strong and tough. Most of their necks are bigger than our waists. And yet, despite all of their strength and might, you got these puny little pencil neck referees decked out in pinstripes. And they have authority over them, don't they? That little yellow flag in their pocket, they choose to pull it out, they can check those powerful linemen. And we don't see referees doubting or hesitating their decision to throw that flag in the presence of these powerful linemen because they've been commissioned by the NFL, who is the authority in professional football. And now Jesus announces his authority over every power on this earth and in heaven, and he commissions the disciples in each and every one of us. That's why you always need to have your Bible handy because in this Bible, you got Matthew 28, which has your commission in case anybody needs to see it. It's also important because you need to check your pastor, make sure he's preaching truth, so have these things open. You guys just met me, right? You gotta check me from time to time, and I'm sure some of you will. I've already started to get some emails. <laughs> and as another side benefit to all of this, because we preach through scripture, you can actually see how much longer you have to listen to me up here, because if you follow along, you know how much longer you gotta deal with it. So, in any case, Abby was kind enough this past week to make a hard copy of your commission. It was handed to you when you walked in. You can put this on your desk or your refrigerator, use it as a bookmark, whatever. She also made a, um, a phone wallpaper that you can get for free on our website. I have it on mine, it's great. You just look at your phone and you're reminded of your commission all the time. Just go to fourmile.org and download that. She's got a bunch of different versions of it too, so highly encourage you to do that. You have your commission on Jesus's authority. Don't ever doubt that, even in the face of what he's about to call you to do next. Therefore, go. Now, the therefore critically links his authority to our commission, and therefore he has the commission to tell us to go. And this isn't a weak go. This is a Vince Lombardi locker room go. Get your backsides out there on that field and give it everything you got. That's the kind of go we're dealing with here. The original word for go 
is Puriwal. It means to order your life in pursuit of a journey. Order your life in pursuit of a journey. I love that. Because prioritizing your life to carry out your commission from the king. And here's where it starts to get a little uncomfortable. Because, you know, whenever you hear someone preach on the Great Commission, we all feel like we have to quit our jobs and go become a nun or a missionary or something like that. And that may be the case for some. But this language here doesn't suggest that. It doesn't mean everyone needs to go prioritize their lives the same way. Rather, it seems to suggest that everything we do in life, whether we're a teacher, a mechanic, a nurse, must have this commission as its priority. You see, going is our response to Jesus' commission to us. And remember, he's the first mover all the time. It's why we have response time each week, time to order your life around the message that the Holy Spirit convicts you of. This message we receive is not just to be heard. It's also to be acted on. That's why he tells us to go. It's an action verb. Let's go. It's a great motto. How cool is it that Tyler sits down and can write this out? Literally, a week ago, we didn't have a song. A week later, we got a song. It's amazing. Um, it's an authentic four-mile church original calling us out of the walls of this church into the town, into the streets, and onto the field of our daily lives to live out our commission in three ways. And again, if you have your Bible open, you can check to make sure I'm not making these three, three ways up. They come directly from the king. Here's what Jesus says. First, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, disciples are people who follow after their master wherever he goes so they can be like him. They can be Christ-like. In this case, it means we introduce people to Jesus. They can't be like him if they don't know him. And I'm not talking about just knowing about him. We can know all the facts about Jesus. There's many historians out there that do that. But we actually have to know him personally. Now, let me give you an example. If you were to walk up to the gates of the White House and start spilling out all this knowledge you have about the president to see if the gate guards will let you in, they're just going to think you're crazy. You're probably going to end up arrested. But if you actually know the president, he's your best friend. They know that because they see you hanging out together. And you can walk it up and say, hey, boss just asked me to come check him out. I got to talk to him about a couple things. They're most likely going to let them in. So do you see how disciples who know Jesus know him well? He's their best friend. Is he your best friend? Or do you just kind of know about him? And then importantly, we see all nations. It means everyone is included in this new covenant that Jesus just sealed with his blood. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles too. Not just the nice people, but the mean people too. Not just the cool people like Ryan, who's up here, but also the not so cool people like me. So this is great news for all of us. We're all welcome in this invitation. Therefore, we got to go. We got to get out of our comfort zone, our routines, the walls of our church, and make disciples. And that's why it's part of our vision statement to reach the tri state region and beyond, making fully devoted followers of Jesus, which is what a disciple is. And note what that means for Four Mile Church explicitly. Our charge is not to bring people to Four Mile Church. Our charge 
is to bring them to Jesus. They may eventually make their way here, but that is not our objective. It's to go to Midland. It's to go to New Brighton, Rochester, Cranberry, Pittsburgh, East Liverpool, Chester, wherever, and make disciples. Now, some of you have already done this. You've reordered your life in response to your commission. We see you down there all the time. You just can't help yourself. You're at the center. You're at the Hope House. Saw you at the prayer walk, serving the schools this weekend. And that's exactly the spirit I mentioned earlier about Four Mile Church. So this isn't like a conviction thing where like we're not getting it as a church. Because I see this definitely the spirit in this church. But what if this church wasn't focused on ourselves anymore? We didn't care about it. But instead, we just focused on the king and his kingdom. And that may mean that Four Mile Church never grows beyond its current numbers. New people come, old people go, but we stay about the same. You're sitting there, and all of a sudden, you look over here, and Mr. and Mrs. Smith, who have always been in the second row for the last two decades, they're not there one week. And you ask yourself, well, I wonder if they're not feeling well. And then you come back the next week, and they're still not there. And then by the third week they're not there, you start to check up on them. And maybe Mr. Smith owns a dental clinic in town, so you drive by and you notice that it's closed up. And you start asking around, what happened to them? And they're like, well, they've taken up their cross, and they followed Jesus to West Virginia. And they're down there doing dental work for people for free. And they're gone, and they're not there anymore. And then all of a sudden, a week later, two more people sit down. And you're like, where'd they come from? Well, I don't know, they were hanging out with the Joneses down on some prayer walk, and they ended up coming to church to get baptized. So do you see how we may actually never grow? And that really doesn't matter. All that matters is that the kingdom grows. That's our vision. That's Jesus' commission, and that's why we go. Second, we go baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Baptizing, signing, and sealing in the new covenant. Born again, marked by water repentance, and the Spirit, the indwelling Spirit that comes with our baptism. If we're fulfilling our vision, we should be baptizing people left and right. That thing should never go away. I remember the first week when Cammy did this, no one came up. And it's naturally to feel badly for her. But it wasn't Cammy. It had nothing to do with Cammy. And I see a lot of smiles out there, so you know what I'm talking about. God calls people to baptism. It's not Cammy. It's not Martin. It's not me. It's not an elder. None of us do it. It's 100% God. But he uses all of us to play our roles. So the generations of prayers that have been going on in Four Mile Church, 200 years worth, they were all part of these baptisms. You better believe it. Cammy's invitation was part of this baptism. The prayers that Martin has done for years around this church, they're all part of it. That's how God designed it, which is why we must go and do what he commissions us to do. And it's actually the highest of highs to be part of the Holy Spirit convicting people to accept Jesus' work on the cross so that their sins are forgiven and they're made right before the Father. Did you catch all that? There's a lot of theology right there. The Holy Spirit convicts people to accept Jesus' work on the cross, to forgive the sins, so they're made right before the Father. And that's why we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
That's why it's also so important that we get this Trinity thing down. Not only is it, is it here in the Great Commission, but it's also in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's another one of those paradoxes. So let's walk through this quickly. On the one hand, the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. But on the other hand, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. They are one God in three persons. The Father is the creator and sustainer of the universe. The Son is the Savior and Lord of the world. And the Holy Spirit is the sanctifier of God's, of God's people. So in baptism, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. Jesus forgives us of those sins, making us right before our Holy Father. Paul also teaches this in Romans when he says, all things flow from him, through him, and to him. It's so important that we understand the role of the Trinity. And borrowing from Peterson again, he says this, the only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. You see, we don't do anything for God. He doesn't need us, but he uses us. So you better believe he works through parents, Sunday school teachers, nurses, salesmen, farmers, and each of you when you respond to your commission. And what a thrill it was to see Tegan and Crosby and Deb and Alan and Skyler and whoever else is next respond to God's calling in their life to be baptized in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And third, go teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So it's not that we're just to baptize and move on. No, we stay with people, mentoring, teaching, and discipling them. But in order to be a good teacher, you have to have something to teach. So you must be in the Word. You must be about the business of worshiping the King so that every sermon, every devotion, every Bible study is equipping you. You know, I hear it all the time. I got to get in a small group. I got to get in a Bible study to keep myself straight. No, that's not why we need you to get into a small group or a Bible study. We need you so you can learn what you need to teach others so you can fulfill your commission. You're on orders from the king to go make disciples, baptize, and to teach. Now, I know I've been teaching for a long time, so teaching can be intimidating. But notice, it's not that we're asked to teach deep theology here. It's kind of a relief, isn't it? But actually, we're asked to teach something so much more challenging than that. Theology is pretty easy. Once somebody explains it to you, you got it. We have to teach people to obey. And that's a challenge. That's something every one of us has been working on since the day we were born. And most of us haven't made too much progress. I see a lot of nods out there, um, particularly some, some points to, the, to people's husband. Um, that's good. Not all of us are getting that, that's for sure. We're going to see in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus' kingdom operates completely differently from the world. Obedience is the key in his kingdom. And this is a tall order, and I know it's intimidating. How in the world are we ever going to do this? Well, first of all, we can't doubt because we have the authority thing already nailed down. But he wraps up this great commission with a huge comfort in the form of a promise. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He promises to be with us 
always to the end. No matter what we're going through, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is with us because he is in us. This let's go thing, it's probably going to end up costing us. There's risks. It's intimidating. I get it. But if we're truly worshiping him, rendering our lives and reordering them for his purposes, we might be called to suffer. We might even get a little rough at times, but he's going to be there with us. And that's all we ever need because he has authority over absolutely everything. Just like we learned last week, we don't need to fear anything else once we fear him. Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we know him. He's our best friend. Wherever he has gone, we have gone. We've been walking together since we first responded to his call on our lives, and he's going to be there until the end. How do we know this? Because he says it right here. It's a promise. He's the king. He's got all the authority in heaven and earth. When he promises something, it happens. You can count on it because he said so. So you have to ask yourself, after all of this, what are we waiting for as a church? We have our commission to go. It comes with cosmic authority. We know what our orders are. We're to make disciples, baptize in all nations, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teach people to obey Jesus. We have all the strength that we need. God's presence is with us. His spirit lives within us. And we even have the end game from other scripture out there that tells us the king's victorious. So we even get to be on the winning team. So with all this in mind, we're going to start out next week on our journey as a church to study Jesus' first recorded sermon. We're going to learn directly from the king how he expects us to respond as kingdom dwellers. And I can assure you, he is going to turn your world upside down because he's going to give us the things he wants us to do and what he wants us to teach others. So I want you to commit to coming to hear these sermons each week. It's going to take us well through the fall and into the winter, but it will lay out the foundations, those fundamentals for responding to our call, to our commission from the king. So the weekend as a church, get out there into the streets and do what we're called to do. Let's go. Triune God, we praise you as the authority of authorities in this universe and in our lives. Would you pour out your spirit on us, convicting us of our sin, washing us by Christ's blood so that we might be holy in your sight. Use us as you see fit, calling us deeper and deeper into the waters of faith, trusting in you and responding to our commission to go and make disciples, to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to teach obedience to the truth of your word. We ask all of this and whatever else you see that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. So for response time today, we'd like to encourage you to spend some time with your commission. You have the card in front of you that has your commission on it. If you flip it over, you'll find 12 areas that we as church leaders and elders have been praying through for months. We've kind of gone through scripture and looked at what are those things scripture tells us are necessary for a church. And we've started to bend those into these 12 areas. And they involve things like your talents or your gifts or characteristics of the church. So you're going to hear a whole lot more on that in the future. 
But for the next two minutes or so, if you just take a little time, kind of pray through that, see how the Holy Spirit's convicting it in you. Maybe you are one of those people that wants to get involved in the prayer side of things, and so you're going to commit to being part of the prayer walk ministry. Or maybe you just notice through some of the, the prayer chains that are out there that there's a tremendous need for people who are dealing with um, health issues and disease and other things, and you just want to step up and serve them. So whatever it may be, just take the next few minutes, kind of pray through that, and see how the Holy Spirit convicts your heart to respond.